Chances are, if you go to see Danny Boyle's Yesterday this weekend, you'll find it touching, funny, and also very nostalgic. The film stars Himesh Patel as Jack, a struggling musician who, after an accident, finds that he's the only person on earth who remembers the Beatles. His star quickly rises when he begins to introduce their hits as his own. The production related that Boyle and writer Richard Curtis are both huge Beatle fans and would not have made the film without the blessing of Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and the estates of John Lennon and George Harrison. With the approval of the musicians and their families, the production secured the composition rights to the Beatles songs, and yesterday is jam-packed with classics, including Let It Be, In My Life, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Help, and All You Need Is Love. With so much music in the film, Composer Daniel Pemberton's responsibilities ranged from writing the score to producing the music and working with Patel. He talks about this experience with us today. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter, Behind the Screen. Yesterday marks Danny Boyle's second collaboration with Emmy, Golden Globe, and BAFTA-nominated composer Daniel Pemberton. They previously collaborated on Boyle's Steve Jobs. Pemberton's recent credits also include Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Ocean's 8, and the USS Callister episode of Black Mirror. Welcome and thanks for joining us. No problem. A pleasure. There's so much music in this movie. You had quite a range of responsibilities. Would you start by explaining that to us? Yeah, working on Yesterday is probably unlike any other movie project I've been on before in terms of all the different levels of responsibility and things I had to do on it. So, you know, first off, I wrote the original score for the movie. Then I also had to oversee all the musical elements in the film alongside a good friend of mine, Ardem Ilhan, who I brought on board. I worked with him to basically turn Himesh from a guy, Himesh Patel, who plays Jack, the main character in the film. We had to turn him from someone who was basically confident playing a guitar in their bedroom to someone who would be confident playing a guitar at Wembley Stadium. And we had to write his songs uh, and I had to produce a soundtrack album and a zillion other things. So it was, it was like all hands on deck. You know, anything musical in this film, I had to do something for it. Before we get to the Beatles music, would you tell us about your approach to the songs, notably Summer Song, that Jack in the story had written, but then they failed to launch his career. These songs couldn't be very good for the context of the story. So how did you approach that direction? So writing the original songs, this movie was actually a really fun task because, you know, when Danny Boyle first brought me onto this, you know, I was kind of originally like, well, you know, this film sounds amazing. You've got all this stuff for the Beatles, but what's there? You know, it's great, but what's there for me to do? And one of the first things he says, like, look, you've got to write these, like, these average songs. And I'm like, hey, you want a guy who can write average songs? I'm your guy. <laughs> and weirdly, that was more complicated than you'd think it would be because they were written into the script by Richard Curtis. 
and they had very specific qualities. So Summer Song had to be a song that felt good enough for the character Jack to believe he could be a star. And the only thing that was holding him back was luck or, you know, the right connection. So it had to be a song that was not, you know, a rubbish piece of music. It had to have something to it that he felt that he was good enough. And also that's his hit song. You ha he has a friend called Nick and all Nick ever wants to hear is the summer song. And that was actually a very key part of working out how to write that song because writing that track, that track I always felt had to have a catchy element to it that someone who maybe didn't have the most sophisticated musical tastes, i.e. Jack's friend Nick, would remember it because it would say the word summer a lot and it'd have some kind of woe-woe chorus that made it more catchy. So Richard Curtis started off and he wrote a whole bunch of lyrics for it, like a, a, a whole huge amount of ideas. So I went in with Ardem, who's this singer-songwriter friend of mine who I've been friends with for years, and I brought on board this project so we could work together with Himesh on the performance aspects because he's got a history of performing and I've got kind of no idea about it. So we worked together, all three of us, you know, we tweaked some lyrics, took some out, put some new things in, and then just came up with a summer song. And, you know, the idea with summer song is it's, it's a good track, but it's not a great track. And, you know, there's other songs we wrote, like Rock This Road, which is not as good as summer song. And another one called Dinosaur, which ended up on the cutting room floor. But that was actually a really fun, a fun project and a fun part of the process is to write songs that were not as good as the Beatles, because that's easy. Writing songs better than the Beatles, eh -eh. but that I could do. Take us back to that first conversation you had with Danny Boyle when he discussed with you recreating all of these Beatles classics in the movie. Danny phoned me up. I've got this new project. I want to, you know, we worked, I'd worked with Danny Boyle before on Steve Jobs, you know, really like working with him. So he, he brought me into working title, into some big fancy office and told me about this whole film. And I was like, this film sounds brilliant, but, you know, what am I going to do? You've got all these Beatles songs. You know, there's no, like, I'm just a composer, you know, film composer. And he was like, no, no, I want you to oversee everything. I want you to take this, this actor who, at this point, Hamesh had not even officially been cast. He was showing me the casting videos and saying, you know, what do you think of this guy? And I was like, well, yeah, I think he's got something really special. And he was like, I want you to turn him into this superstar and just work with him all the way through on performance and every aspect. And I was like, that's not what I do. I like, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, that's exactly why I want you because you don't do it the same way as everyone else. And I know you'll come up with some more interesting ideas. So I was like, uh, okay, well, look, if we're going to do that, I want to bring Ardem, this friend of mine, Ardem Ilhan along and we can all work together. And it was a really like huge task this because there were so many different levels to working on this project. So he wanted me to work with Himesh and get all the songs that he's going to perform in the film to be as powerful and as emotional as they can be. You know, I worked with Danny to talk about what's the best way we can present all these songs. Danny had loads of fantastic ideas of like different ways of approaching each song and how can we get the most impact and the most variety in the film. And Danny also wanted to keep stuff very raw and real. He was very keen on, on this, everything in the film being real. He didn't want to have playback. He wanted everything you hear on screen to have happened on screen. 
And Himesh Patel put so much dedication into this job. We even sent him busking. We're like, we're going to send you busking so you know what it's like to be someone who no one cares about. And you're going to sing the summer song and these other songs that no one knows. And he was brilliant. He was so dedicated and he's going to be a superstar, I think. And also we've done an album with him. That's the other thing we haven't really talked about in this. But another big part of this film or this project is the Yesterday soundtrack, which is almost like an extra part of the film because a lot of the soundtrack is the things you hear in the film, but there's also stuff that's alluded to in the film, which is his one man only album. And whereas early on, they're like, please write some average songs that aren't as good as the Beatles. In the film, the one man only album is supposedly the greatest album of all time. So we had to produce the greatest album of all time, slightly more tricky. <laughs> and spent a lot of time trying to get a version of the Beatles that was different but familiar to people. And I'm really proud of how that's turned out because that was a lot of work for something which is in some ways only alluded to in the film. Then it was producing the Beatles songs, these new versions, and then also writing the score. So there was like this massive amount of work to do, even though Danny told me it originally just take me three weeks and I could go back to doing Spider-Man which is what I was doing at the time. <laughs> and that was like a year and a half ago. This project went on forever, but I've loved every minute of working on it because it's been such a special film. Well, let's talk about a few of the songs. Why don't we start with Yesterday? Tell us about how you approached that one. So, like, Yesterday is obviously such a key part of the film. Like, when we were working on this, the film wasn't actually called Yesterday. So, you know, every, there were so many titles flying around for this film. And now it just seems crazy that it was never not going to be called Yesterday. But Yesterday was such an important part of the story. And again, this idea Danny has of everything having to be live meant that we had to make sure Himesh could do a performance of it that was so powerful it would, you know, it would take the breath away of the characters in the scene. And in this scene, it's a very intimate scene. He's sitting with a few of his buddies. Yeah, and so... He had to get to be able to perform, he had to learn that song to be able to perform it in a way that felt worthy enough of a key part of an entire movie, which is a huge amount of pressure. Like, the other thing I cannot say enough in this movie, Himesh Patel is absolute superstar. He worked so hard at learning and delivering these songs in a way to make it look effortless. He, he was being phenomenal all the way through. But, you know, so we looked at it and we actually changed the key. You know, the original, the original song is in F and we dropped it down to E because that just worked better for his uh, vocal range. And we found that was how we got the best, most powerful performance from him. And so there's, there's lots of things we did with songs like that that are really subtle, but it's all trying to find the, the way to get the greatest performance from the actor on screen. What sort of direction did you give him in that scene? So with that, it's a very stripped back, raw, emotional performance. And a lot of it was getting Himesh so familiar with the song that it just came naturally to him. So there's a lot of work on that, on changing the fingering on the guitars and just getting it to a, a point where it was effortless for him to play. And then he just worked very, very hard on that because Yesterday is actually a real pain in the backside song because it's actually really complicated it looks really easy it sounds really easy it's like a really fascinating piece of music because some of the Beatles stuff is really complicated and it sounds complicated and some of it's actually quite straightforward but yesterday is one of those pieces that sounds incredibly simple but it's actually very fiddly to play and he does it like 
excellently in the film, as I'm sure anyone who's seen the film knows. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Let's talk about Hey Jude. So this performance comes when Ed Sheeran, who plays himself in the movie, convinces everyone in a recording session that the lyric should be changed to Hey Dude. So tell us about that. Okay, so I have recorded a version of Hey Dude, which I am worried is one day going to, like, haunt me. Uh, (laughs) I was very against recording Hey Dude. I was like, this is sacrilege. We can't do Hey Dude. And I fought a long time not to do a recording of Hey Dude. But everyone, Richard, Danny, everyone wanted me to do Hey Dude. So there is a version of Hey Dude that's flowing around on some special limited edition of the soundtrack. I did not want it on the main version of the soundtrack. But, you know, it's a fun, you know, it's a great gag in the film. And there's something that felt very sacrilegious about recording the Hey Dude vocal. But it's quite good fun as well. And we did a whole chant at Abbey Road. We got like, I actually just sent like a WhatsApp message around to like, Everyone I knew, Friday night, Abbey Road. I was like, if you're free, come down to Abbey Road to the bar. We'll do something at nine o'clock. It'll be fun. Didn't really tell them what it was. They all turn up, have a few beers. And then I'm like, right, everyone, we're going to go in Studio One and we're going to all record the chorus to Hey Jude because I want like the biggest, most crazy version of Hey Jude we can get. And then we also did Hey Dude at the same time. The long and winding road we hear in a more intimate environment. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so with with Long and Winding Road in the film, again, it had to be a very sparse version. Danny all the time was insistent on everything being in the scene, in the camera. So there's not, there's not, you know, we could either do it on piano or guitar or something else, but, you know, it's, it just sounds so great on the piano and it's got so much depth and weight. So we just did a few little tweaks on the arrangement just so Himesh could play it comfortably. And it's just a really great bit in the film. It's it's just, a, 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 it's such a beautiful song. Like, I think possibly one of the best things they wrote. And he just nails it fantastically, which again was just do lots of practice and rehearsals with Himesh. I mean, one of the things I haven't talked about yet, it was like very early on when he first came on the project, we were all in this big rehearsal block in London and it was a pretty nondescript, boring office space. And he had a little tiny room which had bars on the window and was not a nice place to spend weeks on end trying to learn all these songs. So we got the art department, me and Ardem, we said to the art department, can you make this look like Jack's bedroom? I want it to feel, I want him to like enter this character. So overnight they did this fantastic job where they basically turned this really boring room into Jack's bedroom. They put a bed in there, we put a piano, a hi-fi, posters on the wall, post-it notes up with song titles. And it just became a really fun place to hang out. And so we would just hang out there every day working with Himesh and putting him in the cocoon of Jack Malak and just letting him sort of start to become that character. The long and winding road that leads to your door will never disappear I've seen that road before it always leads me here 
In contrast, Help was performed in front of a big crowd, rowdy crowd. Yeah, so Help, so, you know, one of the things we did early on through this process was to build a band for Himesh, the, the Jack Malik band. And so, you know, another thing you don't really see in this film is that band, we got, we got Himesh rehearsing with them for, for quite a few weeks just so he could build up his stamina and his confidence of performing with other musicians. So we had like some grotty hotel, uh, grotty rehearsal room in King's Cross, and we would just play Beatles songs, just go through them as a unit. So we knew, like me and Arden both knew that like coming down the line would be this big performance of help. And while it was great, you know, Hamesh was definitely nailing all this stuff of the intimate, close performances. We also needed to give him the sort of rock performer energy and... So again, that was through, you know, Danny always wanted this, this scene to be like a cry for help. He loves stuff that's raw and has got a lot of energy. So we spent a long time working out lots of different versions of help. And that was the one that really stuck. And it was just about creating a very raw, punky kind of energy for this scene in the film, which again, every time you hear music in this film, the music is there really to support the story and to tell you something in the story, not just here's another Beatles song. It's supporting you know, one of the ideas in Richard Curtis's wonderful script. So this moment, it's like, it's a cry for help. He's screaming out for help. And that's why you've got this like really angry, punky version. And then that day was amazing. You know, we went down to Goulston, like 6,000 extras. That was a really fun day for all of us because I'd be down on set and we'd just be there trying to work out even really basic things like how are we going to end this song? How's, that, how's the ending of the song going to look like best on camera? And again, great work from the band and Himesh to make that a really standout moment of the film. Now, in recording these, you were working with production sound mixer Simon Hayes, who won an Oscar for Les Miserables. How did you work with Simon? So Simon Hayes and the sound team, like super integral part of the whole process. On any movie, I like to get involved really early on. But in this one, I was thrown in with so many different departments, you know, everything from art department to sound department to script. And, you know, Simon is fastidious in trying to get the best, best recordings he can in, in a way that is not going to impede on the direction or the acting so everyone can feel natural. So we had a lot of discussions early on. We'd have big meetings with all of us talking about how's the best way to capture these things. You know, if you have microphones everywhere, it's going to spoil the realism of the performances. You know, you could take those things out in CG, but it's going to make everyone in the scene feel like it feels less real. So we worked out it'd be really cool to get some mics inside the guitar that we had custom built. And then it was about trying to capture it on as many mics as we could in a way that didn't impede. And Simon is brilliant at that. And he gets these really fantastic performances and recordings. Just do a lot of heavy prep early on and us all talking together, like every department in this talking together about how we want it to be formed. Me and Arden would talk to 
Simon about how we saw this being performed. Danny would talk about how he wants to shoot it and the DOP, Chris. And we'd all just work together to say, well, look, you can put this here. This is going to work better. Maybe take that out. And it was a real collaborative effort between all of us. And even more so because everything in this film that appears on camera had to be real. And tell us about the final scene, which is set in Wembley Stadium. So... As you may know, in this film, there is a real pop star by the name of Ed Sheeran, who was fantastic. And also, I think it's fantastic for the movie in a number of ways, because you could look at this film and go, well, this is a nice kind of fantasy, but this kind of thing could never happen. But then you've got someone in the film who pretty much is the embodiment of this idea that you can just be one guy with a guitar and you can become an absolute global phenomenon. And Ed was like, as well as acting in it, he was super kind in lending us his stadiums, basically. Ed has stadiums. You know, some people, I don't know, have like fast cars. Ed has stadiums because he's selling them out every night for weeks on end. So we went down to Manchester, watched him perform a couple of times, all of us. And when it got to Wembley, we got to use his stadium after the gig. So we set up there and would spend a long time filming Himesh performing once the gig was over. Was there any audience at that point? Yes, there was an audience, but not of the Ed Sheeran scale, sadly. It was a a smaller audience and some tricks of the light, shall we say, for those scenes. So tell us about working then at Abbey Road on those songs. Your mixer actually is working on Beatles music separately as well right now. Yeah, I mean, I work at Abbey Road all the time. It is one of the greatest recording studios in the world. And I always love working there because they've got an amazing crew of people and amazing just the whole mindset of everyone in that building is fantastic. I always say it's like you're just, you're like the captain of this ship where everyone is just all focused on giving you the most space to be as creative as possible. And so one of the guys I always work with is this guy called Sam McCurl, who's my mixer. He's mixed like all my films, like Spider-Man, Spider-Verse, Ocean's 8, King Arthur. You know, I've been working with him for years and he generally just works with me and the Beatles. He, uh, alongside Giles Martin, he does all the, all the uh, remasters, all the remixing for things like, you know, they just did the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper. They've just done the White Album. He's just working on Abbey Road right now because he's meant to be doing something for me and he's still on Abbey Road and he hasn't returned my call today. And he's like just immersed in everything about the Beatles from, you know, every piece of gear they use to like every take of whatever recording. So I was like, hey, guess what? I know you're normally working with me or you're normally working with the Beatles, but I've got a great project for you. I've got me and the Beatles. And he was like, oh, no, <laughs> give me something else. Was he else. skeptical at first? No, no, I think it was kind of a joke, but it was just like this kind of bad joke of like, you know, he works incredibly hard and doesn't have enough holiday. And the idea of a new job that involved both the things he works on all the time at the same time, it was a different challenge for him, I guess. But what was fantastic about working with Sam is he's got this amazing knowledge, encyclopedic knowledge of Beatles recording processes. And so I used a lot of that to help write the score. So, you know, with the score of this film, I didn't want it to be like Beatles pastiche and Danny didn't want that. But I wanted it to feel as if rather than it sound like Beatles songs have been changed around a bit, I wanted it to feel like the Beatles had written a film score. And if someone had, you know, in the 60s had said we wanted to score this film, it kind of might have ended up like this kind of approach. So that would be. I would try and use their sound world. So that would be everything from, you know, we use the actual pianos 
the Beatles used on things like Lady Madonna. There's a thing called the Mrs. Mills piano, which is this really like honky upright piano, which sounds amazing. And you'll recognize it because the opening of Lady Madonna's played on it. So we use that actual piano. And then we'd use like basses like the Hofner bass that Paul McCartney, you know, the same style that he'd play. I'd get the drums covered in tea towels and mic'd up in the same way as Ringo would do it because Ringo always had tea towels on the toms because it makes the sound a bit more deadened. And, you know, we'd stick them through the same mixing desks. We'd have the same kind of tape effects, ADT, which is this kind of, at the time, really groundbreaking tape effect where you'd speed tapes up and just slightly change the delays. And, you know, I used all these techniques and approaches to try and make a score that felt familiar but was something new. Sam and Abbey Road were like super integral to that because we're recording in the very room where all these records are made. And that was just an amazing moment in this film of recording some of their songs as well and being like, this is the room this song, you know, came from nothing and it came from this room and entered the world and now it's in every single person's life. To what extent, personally, were you inspired by the Beatles? It's so hard to kind of really fathom how important the Beatles have been to music because it becomes such a cliche saying that and you just take it for granted. And I think it's only when you're actually in a band playing with like other guys, guitars and drums is you really realize how much they change things because up to that point, everyone's just playing rock and roll tracks. There's only so far you can take that from a musical point of view. And, you know, for me, one of their great things was taking the studio and taking the idea of sound and taking the idea that any sound can be incorporated into music. And the richness and depth of the sound world they embraced, I think, changed music forever. And you double that invention with sonics, with just the most amazing melodic writing and the catchiest songs. And then you get this moment in history that's almost never been repeated because they kind of changed everything. And they opened the doors for all of us to approach sound in a whole new way. All the way through this, I wanted to embody the spirit of them and that experimentation, even things at the beginning when Jack's riding his bike and he hits the bus. You know, deep in that track is just a recording of me hitting my bike spokes with a timpani stick as a rhythm. And it's really quiet in there. And the Beatles never played bike spokes, but I know it's the kind of thing they probably would have done. And so I wanted to like grab onto that, that experimental ethos. Now, in the context of the story, though, you're creating a world where the influence of the Beatles didn't exist. How did that challenge you when you were working on the film? Yeah, the, the concept of the Beatles not existing was a real, like, really messed with your head when you were trying to work out what to do. Very early on, I approached the score with this idea that I was going to totally ignore that the Beatles ever existed and try and approach the score from the mindset of a singer-songwriter like a modern day like busker like Jack Malik and I tried to write like they would write and I had this crazy idea of trying to record the entire score on my iPhone because when you're a singer-songwriter you often use voice memos on your iPhone and Danny loves lo-fi stuff like Danny loves the idea that his whole score would be done on like you know something in your pocket rather than an 80-piece orchestra and a lot of those ideas kind of were interesting starting points but didn't really work but you know, one of the things I actually am most proud of in this film is 
there's a scene which I don't want to talk about too much here, but you'll know what it is. He goes to meet a certain character late in the film after his concert at Galston Beach and he's driving through the countryside and there's a guitar piece and that guitar piece was from one of these early ideas and that was recorded on my iPhone and that's in the film and I love the fact that this is a gazillion dollar studio massive picture and there's two minutes of this score which are recorded on my iPhone 6 on my voice memos and nothing has been done to them they're just up on screen but early on I tried to approach it from that angle and then as we got deeper and deeper into it Danny was just like you know we've got to acknowledge the Beatles exist not acknowledge the Beatles exist but we've got to let the audience feel that world of the Beatles that they know and start to seep it into the film like into the DNA of the score and at that point I started to embrace more the sounds of that world and take that as a as a starting block but it was before I did that it was quite daunting because it was very hard to know where to go I think the other thing that really helped me with the Beatles was things like Revolution Number no. 9, which is a really out there avant-garde piece of music where you've got like radio static and all these kind of like avant-garde techniques. And it's in some ways very quintessentially Beatles that no other band has that kind of avant-garde art aesthetic and is this popular. And so that was just the richness of that sound palette was a really helpful tool for me because it allowed me to go that out there with the score as well. I think this has been such a exciting project to be on because you've got to take a backseat to the Beatles and just let all that music shine. Even when it came down to scoring, it would be like I'd written a love theme for Jack and Ellie and I just felt it got in the way of the Beatles song. So I went back and did something that was more minimal, more stripped back because the most important thing with this film was giving the audience like the, the biggest emotional hit they could get from each of those songs. And if that meant holding things back or like making other things not be in the same territory that was very important for me as well because at the end of the day all i care about is how can i make this the best cinematic experience on all levels for whoever goes see this movie tell us about yourself how did you start your career so i started my career making weird music in my bedroom i grew up in a place called east mosey which is kind of on the outskirts of london quite close to isha which is where john lennon and a lot of the beatles decamped to sort of sketch out the white album and i used to make music in my bedroom with a four track cassette player and one keyboard which i'd saved up for ages to buy and that's all I had. I didn't have a computer and I was just doing that over and over again. And then I used to go to like electronic music was just really kicking off in England. And I used to go to like raves and weird music events. And I was just like an annoying kid and I used to give people tapes. And then through that, someone offered me a record deal. So I weirdly put a record out when I was 16 of pretty avant-garde electronic music called Bedroom. And the greatest claim to fame of that was Stockhausen reviewed it on Radio 3. And I don't know if you're familiar with Stockhausen, but Stockhausen's an incredibly important, influential, avant-garde composer who also famously appears on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's as one of the people on there. And he also had an influence on the Beatles. Actually, I haven't even talked about this. This is quite interesting in a roundabout way. So he had a big influence on a lot of John Lennon's and Paul's more, you know, out there avant-garde work. So I put this record out. A director hears it. And he asked me to score a TV documentary for him. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like fun. So I did that when I was still at school. I did my homework and then I, I did a TV show after I did my homework. And then he liked that and asked me to do a few more of those. And that kept on going. And then other people liked my work. I just basically kept getting work forever. And then I eventually got a film. And no one really saw that film. It's a film called The Awakening. 
with a great director called Nick Murphy, and it starred Rebecca Hall. But Ridley Scott saw that movie, and he really loved the soundtrack. So Ridley Scott brought me in for a meeting. We had a really nice chat and talked about how I'd worked and all this sort of thing. And he was like, at this point, I'd done like 20 years of TV in Britain or something, or 15 years. And he was like, well, I did the same to learn how to direct. I was a advertising director, and I, I just spent years just doing things and learning. And he's like, you've done the same with music. You've done your 10,000 hours in the garage. And I was like, wow, that's such a cool thing for someone like Ridley Scott to say. And I thought that was it. I got home and I just thought, well, that was cool. I met Ridley Scott and he said some awesome things to me. Next day, I get a phone call from his editor, Pietro Scalia, saying, right, no more messing around. Ridley wants you to do the film. Can you come in in an hour? I was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, really? I kind of wasn't sure if it was a crank call. I was still in bed. I get up quite late. And I remember just standing beside my bed with the phone just going, wow, I think everything just changed in a phone call. And it kind of did. And then after that, you know, I worked with Ridley on, on The Counselor and then I did Man From Uncle, I did Steve Jobs. And then once you kind of work with Ridley, you get a big tick, you know, like a little military stripe. And then it's been pretty nuts ever since then. Thank you so much for joining us. That's okay. Okay.